If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at two verses there. Verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 12. Alright, this is um, obviously a letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. Um, and, you know, we're, we're now on our second Sunday where we're talking about baptism. Last week we talked about how baptism is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift of God. And this is what makes it a sacrament. It's not just something we do, but it's something that God does and promises when we are obedient to do it. This week I want to again look at baptism found here again in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now Paul has already mentioned baptism at the first of his book. Basically what he says is, he says, Hey, uh, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys. Because if I would have, you'd be saying, Hey, Paul baptized me, so that makes me a better disciple than those who were baptized by Apollos or whoever. And basically Paul's point there is, Look, we water, we plant, but God is the one who gives the increase. God is the one who does this. We do our part to set it up, but at the end of the day, it must be God who saves, not us. And so let's look here what he says now as he brings up the subject of baptism again. And by the way, this is in the context of worship. As you know, the Corinthians had lots of problems. One of them was the way they worshipped. <laughs> and so he's already talked about how they've disobeyed God in not doing the Lord's Supper properly, but now he addresses this thing of baptism. Let's pick up here in reading in verse 12 here. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your holy Word. Give us understanding this morning. Give us insight and would You encourage our hearts as we look to Your Word, Your revealed Scriptures. Holy Spirit, would You come as the author of the Bible, as our author, and enlighten our minds, strengthen our hearts. Give us a steadfast faith this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think to myself quite often, wouldn't it be nice if things were like I wanted them to be? You know? Sometimes I want things to be a certain way, and they don't end up that way. And I may be asking certain questions that you don't want to answer, or that you don't answer. Or I may be expecting certain things, and they're not there. 
<laughs> um, for instance, I have some questions about the Bible, such as, when did the date of the Exodus occur? Uh, and, you know, if Moses would have given us just the Pharaoh's name in Exodus chapter 1, whereas instead he gives us, remember, the two names of the midwives, these midwives who are seemingly unimportant, but are now remembered forever, and the Pharaoh of all people who you would seem to think would be important is not important at all according to, according to Moses. And he is forgotten and the midwives are remembered. I want this answered, but you know what? It's not answered. I think things should work in a certain way, but apparently God gives us in His Holy Word on a need-to-know basis. In other words, we may not understand everything in this life. There may be some mysteries to our faith that we are never able to mentally put together. Classic example of this is the Holy Trinity. (laughs) If you can understand God, I don't know who would even claim that. But if you could, I I guess you'd be in heaven maybe. Um, This is what religions have said all around the world. If you can understand God, then you are God, which is impossible. And the Holy Trinity is that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, three persons, one God. And yet, this is what we affirm. It's what we affirm this morning in our creed. And yet, who truly understands reasonably, logically, what all that means? You see, it's a mystery. And at the end of the day, reason, human reason, human logic is not enough. This is why... The Bible says, we don't live by reason alone, but by what? By faith alone. Reason will fail us, guys. And yet, this is what is required in our modernistic world, is reason. Well, if you can't make God reasonable, then I will not believe in God. You give me scientific proof. You give me historical proof. At the end of the day... It all fails. One must live by faith alone. Blaise Pascal, who you'll remember, is a, was a scientist of many things, but he was a scientist and philosopher. He said, believe so that you can understand. In other words, have faith so that reason can come. It's not that we blindly go into faith in Christ. We have reasons for our faith. We're even told to have reasons for our faith. But at the end of the day, this is a walk of faith. And one thing that God has given to us is two sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they're two sacraments because... And and sacrament is kind of a tough term, but it's something that the church has stayed with on these tough terms. Just like in science, you know, how you, you know how you have to learn the tough words? I mean, there's words in a sixth grader's science book that I can't even pronounce, nor do I know what it means. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's words in math that I can't... I don't understand the, the concept. And, and then we complain when we get to God and say, oh, well, this stuff should be simple. But really? I mean... We should be dealing with a whole different level of complexity when we start talking about God, and yet we start complaining, oh, no, 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 you need to make God simple. No, 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 that's, that's too heavy for me. And yet we teach sixth graders heavy terms, heavy concepts about 
the atom and the nucleus of a cell, so on and so forth. You see, reason at the end of the day is not enough. We are told to live by faith, but have reasons for that faith. It's an interesting tension. And so this morning, I want to offer some reasons for why we believe that baptism is a sacrament and some things that are benefits of our baptism. Paul says here, just as the body is one yet with many members, so is the church. So are the gifts of the Spirit. You remember he in chapter 12, he begins by talking about many gifts of the Spirit. There are some here, some there, a multiplicity of gifts. And yet, who is the giver of those gifts? None other than the one Holy Spirit. You see what Paul does? He starts with the many and goes to the one. And then he reverses it here and says, look, there's one body with many members. And then notice what he does here. And this is, this is beautiful. <laughs> I mean, just literary-wise, again, it's just Holy Scripture. And he says, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now notice this. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So notice this. Notice what Paul's setting up. One Spirit, one body. Who's the head of the body? Christ. Who makes us one? Christ. Who makes us one? The Spirit. Just as God is one and many. One God. Three persons. Three persons, one God. You know, if you want to split religions, you talk about polytheistic religions and monotheistic religions. That's the two real splits of the world's religions. There are no other religions out there that don't deal with either polytheism or monotheism. And yet, I think both of them are pointing to the fact of the Holy Trinity. Three persons, one God. God is not some individual person like Allah is. But instead, we in the Christian church believe in the Holy Trinity. Now, is Trinity ever mentioned in the Bible? No. God allows us to work that out. But the theology is replete all the way through both Old Testament and New Testament. The Bible starts, let us create man in our image. And then when Jesus comes, I came from the Father to do the Father's will, returning to the Father, going to send the Spirit. I have to go in order for Him to come. He'll be pointing to me. So the church looks at this and says, whoa, Okay, what do we do with all this Scripture? What do we do with this revelation? Is God a singular person? Or is He three persons? Is He more than one God? Or is He one God? And what the church has come down and said is, one God, three persons. Three persons, one God. Now, this is not a theology lesson this morning, but it just goes to show that some of our core beliefs in the church are found in Scripture, but not found the way we want them to be. (laughs) This is why I started my sermon by saying, things aren't as I want them to be. I would love if Paul just took one book and talked about baptism. Just laid it all out. Easy for me to understand. But he doesn't. I'd like it if he did that with the Lord's Supper. But he doesn't. I'd like it if he did it with the Holy Trinity. But he doesn't. And yet these are core beliefs of our faith. My point is this. We start with Scripture. 
We move to human reason, trying to understand that. But then we go to the tradition of the church. What has the church believed over 2,000 years now? I mean, our questions that we have in our mind, are not, we're not the first ones to ask them. The church has been answering these questions for 2,000 years now. And the last thing is our own experience. How do we experience God in this way? How do we experience baptism in this way? The Lord's Supper in this way? So, kind of our Methodist way of doing theology is Scripture, first and foremost and prime. Scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And this is how I want to move through the sermon this morning. So now, there are three benefits, and this is why I can't just stick here in 1 Corinthians, is because we're just given a little blip here and a little blip there of baptism, here, there. You can look up baptismal things, but it's just blips littered throughout. Images littered throughout. And the theology, the way we put it together, is left up really to the church, who is led by the Holy Spirit. Alright, there's three benefits I want to talk about this morning that ought to encourage our hearts and ought to set us on a new direction. The first is this, benefits of baptism. Is that there is hope through water and the Spirit. Now think with me, back to the Old Testament. Because that's the, that ought to be our starting point every single time when we're dealing with doctrine. Israel was brought out of Egypt. They were in bondage, in slavery to Egypt. They had had the promises that were given to Abraham. Remember? I'm going to give you a family, Abraham. I'm going to make you famous, Abraham. And I'm going to give you land. But here they are for 400 years in Egypt under another nation's power. Slaves. And yet, God comes to them through the person of Moses and delivers them out. If that's not hope, I don't know what is. He gave them a picture of deliverance, of hope. He brings them out of that old way of life, that bondage to another person, another nation, another people group. He brings them out. He delivers them with mighty acts. Not only acts... You know, when we talk about salvation, a lot of times it's all spiritual. It's all internal. Yeah, Lord's helping me overcome anger. Well, I can't really always see your anger. Maybe your husband can. Maybe your wife can. But I can't always... God delivers them in time and space in a real place called Egypt that you can still go and visit today. With mighty acts, He brings them out. He gives them hope. They were enslaved. And He brings them out, delivers them with mighty acts. And interestingly enough, as soon as they're delivered, they move through the Red Sea. A body of water. This is called the Exodus. Where they leave Egypt, cross the sea, and enter into the new life that God has for them. This is an image of baptism. And, God says, I want you to remember this event. How you remember it is with a meal. 
And so He gives them the Passover. You see, even in the Old Testament, we have the setting up of the sacraments of baptism by water, representing deliverance from an old way of life, and we have how we remember, how we now live that new life is through a meal that God provides for us. Now every day you drink water in some form. Every day you have sustenance through food. Two things that is a part of your every single day. God says, you know what? I'm going to use two common things, two things that people do every single day, and I want you to remember me by those two things. I want you to remember who you are by the... I want those two things to give you hope. When we drink of water, we ought to think of the water that we have been baptized in that gives us hope just as it gave the people of Israel hope as they never... Listen, they never forgot the Exodus experience. They never forgot that God delivered them through that body of water and destroyed their enemies. Remember, the same thing happens with Noah. And the church has always looked at this and said, yeah, Noah is also an instance of baptism. God baptizes the whole earth in a flood. And those who do not do it God's way are killed just as the Egyptians were. And those who do do it God's way are saved. Just like the Israelites were. It's very interesting. Water is even seen in verse 2 of Genesis 1. The earth was out form and void and the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, over the deep waters. The Spirit owns the water. If you look at... It's, it's fascinating. You ought to do a study of water throughout the entire Bible. It's significant. It is an image. It is a symbol of a reality that God has set up. Again, that's what makes it a sacrament. And then now think with me to the New Testament. We are condemned by the law. The law that was given at Sinai now condemns everyone that comes into the world. Because of Adam's failure, we are condemned to death, to sin, to hell. But, through baptism, through Jesus' baptism, we can enter in just as the Israelites did to a new way of life. You see, baptism is not unique to Christianity. Other religions do it the same thing. If you convert to Buddhism, you're baptized. You're washed, cleansed with water. The Jews even had a cleansing. If you, be, if you were a Gentile and wanted to be a part of the community of God, you had to be baptized. This is why John was baptizing before Christian baptism came along. In other words, Christ's baptism. Baptism gives us hope because we're moving from an old enslaved way of life to all kinds of possibilities in this new life that Christ Himself offers to us. It's not something we're offering to ourselves. This is something God is offering to us. And so through the waters of baptism... 
we move from darkness to light. Death to resurrection. This is why on the front of your bulletin, you'll see the icon of Christ's baptism, and He's in the form of being in a tomb. And even the waters of the Jordan look like a tomb. Why? Because He is rising from death to life. This is what the New Testament offers for, to us. You see, hope is offered outside of ourselves. If you haven't learned already, you must learn we cannot bring about salvation in ourselves. If you think that way, Buddhism offers a great path. Hinduism offers a great path. If you think enlightenment, freedom, release is found in you, but it's not. We enslave ourselves. We have the, we have the weight of Adam on our shoulders. And God, through baptism, through passing through those waters, and through filling us with His Spirit, releases us to a new life in the Spirit. This is why I say again, hope comes through water, something physical, and the Spirit, something immaterial. It's almost like... Uh, we are dehydrated travelers. You remember in the Old Testament, this is the scene in the wilderness. And Moses strikes the rock and the waters pour forth. In the New Testament, the New Testament will tell us and interpret that to mean Christ is the one rock from whom the waters of life come from. This is why when Moses taps the rock twice... God says, no, my rock will not, my son will not be struck twice, only once for sin. And Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land just because he hits a rock twice. But the symbolism is powerful. You see, in the West, in, in our modern times, we've really lost the idea of the symbol and the reality. But the Bible has not lost that way of thinking. And we ought to not lose that way of thinking. Sometimes we say, oh, well, the reality is, is all that's important. And so whether you get baptized or not, nah, that's, that's not that important. I mean, that's kind of your, your choice. The New Testament doesn't act as if it's just our decision. We are commanded to be baptized. Jesus... Himself is baptized and then directly, uh, directly commands His disciples to go and make disciples by baptizing them. This ring symbolizes my marriage. It is not my marriage, but it symbolizes my marriage. In the same way, baptism points to the reality. And we must not lose the symbol because the symbol means something. If I go on a trip like I'm about to and I slip the ring off, what am I saying? I'm setting myself up for failure. Hey, I go into a bar. I go into an airport and I slip it off. And I meet somebody else trying to deceive. 
You see, the symbol means something. And again, you can disagree with it, but God is the one who has set this up. Jesus is the one who is submitted to baptism. Now secondly, not only is there hope offered through water and the Spirit, but now there's a new identity that is offered through water and the Spirit. Think back again to the Old Testament. Israel is brought out of bondage, out of slavery. And God Himself says, You are now My people, and I am now your God. He is the one who they draw their identity from. You cannot explain the nation of Israel by any other way than the way it's explained in the Old Testament. There is no alternate history of Israel out there. Only what is offered in the Old Testament, only what is offered in history, in really the history of God working with this people, is the only way to explain the nation of Israel even living today. Remember the three promises? I'll make you famous, I'll give you a family, and I'll give you some land. Look around, guys. Who's in the news every single week just about? Israel. That piece of land that God said He gave to them is almost in the news every single week. And has been for ever since He made the promise. Not only that, there is a people called the Jews who we are aware of, who we know, especially from World War II. Still living today. Still alive today. And if you don't think Abraham is famous and his people, about four years ago I walked into a Barnes and Noble and none other than Abraham was on the front cover of Newsweek magazine, flowing in a nice red robe. Almost as if they had posed for it, you know. There he was, in what, two thousand and six or so. On the front of a secular magazine, there's Abraham. Of all people. You don't think God keeps His promises? Oh yeah, He keeps His promises. He will always be faithful to keep His promises. We're the ones that wander. Our identity is in Him, not in ourselves. You see, He elects Israel to be His own special people just as He elects Christ to whom we connect ourselves to. In other words, if you wanted salvation in the Old Testament, you go to Israel. If you want salvation in the New Testament, you go to Christ. The Exodus is the key event in the Old Testament, and Christ's resurrection is the key in the New Testament. You see, now His Holy Spirit has been poured out, and He defines who we are, not we ourselves. We try to define ourselves by our hobbies, by our job, by our families, by our wife, by our children, by anything else other than God. And yet God is the only one who can ultimately define who we are. Only in baptism, as we enter that new life that He has for us, as we pass through the waters, so to speak, as we are cleansed by the 
waters of baptism, so we enter that new life where we are now defined not by ourselves, but instead by Christ and subsequently, as Jessica was talking about, the community of God. Her life, my life, has been changed by being here with you. By knowing you, my life has changed. My very person has changed. In the same way, we draw our identity from who we're around. This is why you know you, you always tell your kids, hey, if you play with fire, you'll smell like smoke. It's that aphorism that means, hey, if you hang around bad people, you're going to be influenced by those bad people. You're not above the laws of nature, the laws of influence. And here's what's amazing. When we are baptized, the Holy Spirit promises to seal us to anoint us. This is why in Riley's baptism and all the other baptisms we do, we put oil on the forehead to symbolize the anointing of the Spirit. Remember Christ's baptism? When He was baptized in the waters of the Jordan, the Father speaks and says, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, He affirms who He is. And in baptism, God affirms who you are. You are My child, and I am marking you as My own. You are Mine. It's almost like a tattoo. The the water of baptism only happens once. Just as you are born only once, so baptism only happens once. And then, the Spirit descends on Christ like a dove, Again, representing this seal that He put. Paul says it this way, He is the guarantee, the deposit that God gives to us to ensure that we're on our way to heaven. He's our assurance. We don't just be for ourselves, oh yeah, I'm a Christian because of what I do here and what I do. No, it's God who gives us that assurance. It's God who witnesses with you and another person who knows Christ that you are children of God. You see, this is a bath that He offers for us. That's one image to look at baptism as as, as, as a bath. You know, at bath time around our house, there's a shift. A shift from playing to now winding down and going to bed. This is why we give it, you know, about 30 minutes ahead of time uh, before, before bedtime is the boys ought to know, hey, I've been outside, I've been playing, I'm dirty, now I've been cleaned, I've passed through the waters of mom's, you know of mom's baptism by water, cleansing, and then there's a change. There's a new orientation. We start reading books. We start settling down. And then we go to bed. In a similar way, we, when we're baptized, are moving from an old way of life, from the wilderness, to now the kingdom of God. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a long trip in the wilderness, but I have. I took an outdoor leadership class where we were out in the wilderness for six days in the middle of nowhere at a campsite. And for six days, I didn't have a bath. Now that's rough. After one day, my hair is uh, greasy and oily. After two days, I don't even know what it looked like. I didn't even try to look in a mirror. I had a little bitty mirror to reflect for, you know, survival needs, but I never looked at that mirror. I could smell my own self the third day, but then after that, you know, it just kind of, I just got used to it, I guess, as they say. Um, and I'll never forget, 
I'll never forget, once we actually got back, to be in the shower, the, the water, the cleansing waters, I mean, it was a heavenly experience is all I got to say. To, I mean, I, I probably washed my hair three times that, that one shower. You know, scrubbing. I mean, it, it just felt so good to move from grimy and dirty and wilderness smelling to now able to be, to go into a, a meal. <laughs> You know, be able to go out to eat, which is the next thing you want, by the way, once you move from the wilderness to real life again, is you want to come back and have a good meal. I mean, you've been eating not good food, you know, food that's just basically had water to it and it blows up and you eat it, you know. That's not, that's not good. And so you want a bath and a meal. And guys, this is exactly what Christ has provided for. He knows where we live. He offers for us the cleansing waters of the Spirit of God, who, who once we are baptized and receive the Spirit, He says that waters will pour forth from our life. Living water. Even in the New Testament, there's the image of in heaven of the river of life. Water doesn't go away. Water is our source of life. Life happens at the water. I mean, that's how civilizations always worked. Nobody has a civilization out in the desert except for uh, Las Vegas. And they pump the water into there. So, again, He provides for us a bath and also new clothes to wear. These clothes are the clothes of Christ. This is what Paul says, we are clothed with Christ. Not with ourselves, not with something we stitch together, but instead what He has to offer. The way Paul says it is, we put on Christ. You don't put on those old, dirty, grimy, sweaty, wilderness clothes, but instead you put on Christ Himself. And then lastly, we are introduced, and this goes right along with what Jessica just said, to the family of God when we pass through the waters of baptism into the Spirit of life. Baptism redefines us as the people of God. Just as Paul says here, we're many yet one in baptism. Male, female, slave, freed person, Jew, Gentile, black, white, red, purple, green, it doesn't matter. Young, old, this is why baptism is not refused to the young. This is why in the Methodist tradition along with Many other traditions, basically all of them except for the Anabaptist tradition, practices infant baptism. If you're going to raise your children Christian, and they're going to be Christian, then they must be in the church. How do you get in the church? Baptized. Again, pick up in the Old Testament. Abraham is given the covenant. What is the sign of that covenant? Circumcision. When is circumcision offered to those people in the covenant? Eight days old. Not eight years old. Not when they can decide, oh yeah, you know what, Dad, I think I will be a part of Israel, the people of God. No. No, son, you are an Israelite. You are God's elect. Now, could they refuse that election? Sure they could. They did, didn't they? Some of them were swallowed up by the earth. Achan, remember, he stole from from Jericho, stole a coat and some other stuff. And he was killed for his disobedience. 
And in the New Testament, the churches said, yes, the sign of our covenant with God now, the covenant that redefines us, that gives us hope, that gives us identity, that leads us into the family of God, is baptism. You see, the church is where God is present in the world. This is why, again, the early church fathers will say, you can't be saved outside the church. And we, we say, oh, hang on, whoa, 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 that's putting too much emphasis on the church. Who is the church? It's the people of God. How could you be saved without the story of God, without the witness of God? No one is ever saved on their own. Now, we like to think of it that way. We like to think, oh yeah, I'm the one who put my faith in Christ. I'm the one who decided to be baptized. I'm the one who reads my Bible. I'm the one who prays. But guys, if you're doing all that, you're not saved. If you're doing the whole shebang yourself, that's just works. There must be a point where those works actually meet God. Now, is it bad to read your Bible? Is it bad to go to church? Is it bad to do... No! But, there must be something that God does in us. We wait for Him to do something. We're not in control of this thing. If we are, then we're just Buddhists. No. We're dealing with God's gift. The gift that He offers to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, are you weighed down with the weight and the slavery of sin in your life? Are you still in Egypt? Because there's a way to pass from that old life to the new life. And it's only through Christ and what He has set up in baptism. If you've already been baptized then you just reaffirm that baptism. It means that God actually kept His promises. He promised to be with you. He promised to pour His grace in your life. If you see this whole thing as you are in control, then recheck that. We just lay ourselves out to be receptors of His grace. I can't save myself. That's what I came to February 28, 1999. I had all these good works I had done all my life. Didn't cuss, didn't drink, didn't do these things, so on and so forth. Had all these things to offer to God. And God said to me, even your prayer tonight can't save you. Only I can save you. You must trust me, Marshall. Not trust yourself. Not trust what you can do. You think you're in control, but I'm the one who's in control. I'm the only one who can save your soul. And that was a scary night for me, knowing that I had to go to bed not trusting myself. And maybe that's easy for you. It was hard for me. Because I wanted to say, well, look, I read three chapters today, God. Look, I, look, I prayed for 30 minutes, God. You, you've got to save me. Because I've done these things. No, son. Trust me. Trust me. You may not like the setup of baptism. You may not like the Lord's Supper. I hope you do. 
But you may not. But it's not your way. It's God's way. This is the way He has set up for us. And it's one thing that binds us together. We are the baptized community of God. When somebody asks you, who are you? I'm a baptized Christian. In other words, I have now entered into a new way of life, the kingdom way of life, with all the benefits of heaven. That's a way to live life. That's a way to define. You are now a child of God. Do you know that you're God's? Do you know that He's called you to be a mediator of His grace? The only reason you are the elect of God is because you've connected with Jesus Christ who is God's elect. He's the one that has been chosen. And now you've been chosen because you chose Him. And He chose you. There's always that tension of what God does and what we do. And we're working together with God. And baptism and the Lord's Supper is an amazing way to picture that physically before your eyes. Not to keep it in the metaphysical realm, but to show it in real time and space. Do you know that you are a citizen of heaven? That you've been adopted into the family of God? That you have a renewed hope in your life. This is what He offers to you today. This is the benefits of being His child. Being a baptized believer. And we're going to respond to God this morning and to this Word. But next week, we're actually going to have a confirmation of our baptism. It's going to be a very special service where we reaffirm our baptismal vows. For some of us, myself included, I haven't thought about baptism in months. My baptism in years. And the implications of that moment in time and space. That community where it was done. But next week we're going to have a special service where we actually do that together. But now, with those questions in mind, do you know that hope? Do you know that citizenship? Do you know those new responsibilities that are yours in Christ? Do you know those new benefits that are yours in Christ? If you don't, you can. Let's all stand and I want to sing.